All right, we're going to continue our study in Acts 27. If you'll take your Bibles out, iPhones, scrolls, whatever you operate with. Uh, We've gone through the entire book of Acts. So if you'd like to hear the teachings, they're all online. Uh, You can can kind of get the whole flow. Uh, We started with the resurrection of Jesus. This is when the church first began 2,000 years ago. Jesus ascends to heaven. Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2. Uh, The guys all speak in other languages. The gospel explodes all over the world. And then we get into really two disciples that this book says the Acts of the Apostles. But it's really uh, really mostly Peter and Paul. Philip's thrown in, a few other people. Uh, But when we left Paul last week, he was in a Roman prison in Caesarea. Everybody remember that? He's in prison on the, the, the far eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's been held there for two and a half years. They've taken him out onto the horse track and he stood before Felix and Festus, the two powerful Roman governors, and he's preached the gospel to them. Uh, They could have killed him. They didn't. He appeals to Caesar. So after two and a half years of sitting there and preaching there in Caesarea, they put him on a boat The boat's coming from Alexandria, Egypt, around the Mediterranean, and it's on its way to Rome. And they're going to put him on a boat and take him to Rome. And he appeals to Caesar. That means, because as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to appeal all the way up to Caesar. Does anybody know who Caesar is during this time? His name is Nero. Uh, Not the guy you'd probably want to have lunch with. Uh, Nero killed it. Well, most, well, let's be honest, there weren't any good Caesars, okay? But Nero uh, had a special hatred of Christians. Nero set Rome on fire, and the story is that he fiddled while Rome burned. We don't know whether he fiddled or not, but he did set the place on fire. And he did it, basically, he cleaned out the Roman slums so that he could build a new monster castle for himself. Well, He thought somehow people would be pleased with him doing this, because you don't think real well sometimes when you're Caesar. And they turned on him, and they're about to kill him. And so he blames the Christians for the fire. That's when you and I start getting fed to lions. They start dipping us in tar and burning us outside the Colosseum uh, for light. This is where we start getting beheaded and whipped and all the other creative ways that the Romans found to kill Christians. This is the guy that Paul appealed to. This is the guy he's going to go. So I know for a fact that Nero heard the gospel. Before he died, Nero heard about Jesus. Before he had Paul beheaded, he did hear about Jesus. But Acts 27 is about the trip of Paul going from Caesarea to Rome. Actually, 27 and 28, because we've got a shipwreck and some other problems on the way. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall roll through this. I'm going to read the first two verses, then we're going to skip to verse 10, just to keep the flow going. So when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. Now, Luke is a doctor, remember. The guy writing this is a doctor. And he gives us details beyond detail. Come on, Luke. What do I care what the guy's name was? All of this will come back later. Just stick with me. Julius belonged to the Imperial Regiment. 
We boarded a ship from Atraman, this is in Turkey, uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. When I can see that our voyage is, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. This is Paul. And it's going to bring great loss to both ship and cargo and our own lives. But the centurion insisted of, in, of listening to what Paul said. He followed the advice of pilot, the pilot and the owner of the ship. Probably that's a good plan if you're running the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, it's in the Adriatic Sea, facing both southwest and northwest. Are you kidding me, Luke? That harbor is still there. No harbor speaks they face two directions. This one does. It's still there. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster. Can you fathom that? <laughs> Swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Caudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ships itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before the men and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete. That's what you want, so know-it-all in the middle of... Uh... <laughs> and then you would have been spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. And said, do not be afraid, Paul. You will stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on an island. You can be seated. You'll find out later that island was Malta. And we'll cover that, we'll cover that next week. But this thing starts off, just trying to break down the story. It's a big, expensive mistake. But before we dive into this, i, I got to tell you one more story. We, when, when we were in Israel two weeks ago, Charles and I were, were roommates. And um, Charles is really neat and orderly, and I'm, well, not. And... Uh, <clears throat> And anyway, I was having trouble sleeping one night, and so out of my suitcase, I go over and I start pulling out uh, old magazines. I pulled out Time Magazine, Sports uh, Illustrated, uh, I had some old Newsweeks, and I threw them on the bed under me, and I 
went right to sleep. And the next morning, Charles said, I, I had no idea you had back issues. I need somebody with a sign. Laugh. <clears throat> a big, expensive mistake. You ever made one? I bet everybody in this room's made one. See, these guys had a choice to make. They knew it was winter. They've got a good cargo on the ship. It's not just the slaves they're getting paid or the prisoners that they're that they've got on the on board, but they've got it loaded down with wheat and other things that are coming from Egypt on its way to Rome. This is this boat's a cash cow. And so the owner wants to get it there because the owner's going to make a lot of money on it. Paul said, look, this isn't going to go well. We're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your ship. You're going to lose your cargo and you're going to lose all the people. You're going to make nothing. But what took over? That's something we're pretty, pretty used to hearing about in our society. Greed. Yeah, greed took over. And the, guy, the guy's greed means more, more to him. Now he knows by this point, everybody knows who Paul is. Remember, Paul was in this special jail. He's not really locked up. He's, he's, he's like house arrest for two and a half years. And the whole world has been coming and preaching. So everybody knows who Paul is. They know about Jesus. They know what he's preaching. When he gets on the ship, he's preaching to them. So they know that there's something special about this little short philosopher who's telling people about a resurrected Savior. But they still refuse to listen. And when we don't listen to God's advice, we get burnt almost every time. And what's amazing is that people are surprised by it. People get surprised by the fact that, well, I, I did the opposite of what God said to do with sex, and I'm surprised that things didn't work out right. did the opposite of what God says about marriage. I did the opposite of what God says about drugs. I did the opposite of what God says about how to handle your money. And then we're surprised when things don't work out right. And usually it has to either do with greed or pride or lust. Those are the three issues it usually comes down to. That's first John two, fifteen and sixteen, if you wanna if you want to reference that. But we've all made big expensive mistakes. Even though in the story the men are gonna live, that's probably the least of the owner's worries. The owner is worried about his money, and what did the owner do? He lost everything. He lost all of the revenue from moving the people. He lost all of the revenue from the wheat. He lost all of the revenue from his ship. Now he's got to rebuild the ship. I mean, this is a bad day. Anybody ever done that? Anybody here ever made a mistake? Maybe it was in a marriage. Maybe it was with a financial partner. Uh, maybe it was with some kind of an investment. And you're like, man, oh man, did I lose big on that. In fact, it's painful sometimes to even think back on those moments. But we need to think back to ask a question, what did I miss? Did I not do this God's way? Does God's word say something about this? Because the one thing that I've learned through the years, there are some things I don't want to repeat. I'd just soon not do this again. Anybody been down that road? I, I learned a, a lesson the first time. That cost me enough. It cost me enough financially. It cost me enough emotionally. It cost me enough with my health. 
I don't want to go down that road again. But people aren't always that smart. True story. This one I don't have to make up. Um, a lady in Dublin, Ireland went into the hospital. Always fact check me. Because her stomach was hurting. When she got into the hospital, they found out that she had swallowed, are you ready? 50 batteries. All different sizes and kinds of batteries. Now listen, I'm not picking on you. If that's your particular addiction, we have a group that meets on Monday night. We'll help you. Um, I mean, certainly a lot of questions come to mind, namely, why? I mean, in that, wouldn't that be where you would go? Now, the doctors at the hospital were able to help her pass some of the double A's. And I'm, that, I'm, 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 I'm processing that. But they had to cut her open and do major surgery to get the rest of the batteries out. Now, and she wasn't a kid. She was 66. Think about that. Now, I don't know what's going on. Something was wrong. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, she may have got a real charge out of it, but something... <laughs> Sorry, I, I just couldn't let that go. I'm sorry. Now, I have no intentions to start eating batteries, but I'm guessing, I'm just guessing that in your life and in my life, there are things that we're ingesting that if other people were looking at it, they'd say, what's wrong with you? Why would you watch that? Why would you listen to that? Why would you let that be a part of your life? And it makes about as much sense as swallowing the batteries. James said it this way. He said, but each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. In this story, it was about a man's greed and his pride. I don't know what it is for you and me, but I know that we've all made some big expensive mistakes. And we'd like to not replicate those. The second thing, it was a bad shipwreck. Now, nobody survives these shipwrecks. In fact, the Mediterranean is littered. If you look up, if you just Google, just ask the question, how many shipwrecks are in the bottom of the Mediterranean, you'll be, you'll be blown away. Or the Great Lakes or, or any, any other lakes. Roman ships are all over this place. And nobody ever survived. There's no reason to think these men are going to survive, especially 104 of them. But what I find fascinating in the story, 14 days, we'll find out as you read on, 14 days this storm goes on. And no sun, they're not, they don't eat anything. But Paul has enough cachet at this point that they're all praying. I mean, who's not going to be praying? You're on that boat, are you praying? All right, to something, to someone, to all gods, you're, you're, you're addressing them wherever you can. But they know Paul believes he's got a special God and he's got a God who's resurrected from the dead. And so Paul tells them, guys, listen, my God and I talked last night and the deal is the ship's going to be destroyed. But if you stick with me, all of you will be saved. Now they got a decision to make, don't they? Because the owners, the first thing they would have done in a situation like this is kill all the prisoners. That's your first move. Kill all the prisoners and then you grab a plank and just hope that you can hang on until something happens. Paul not only convinces them not to kill him and the other prisoners, but to actually listen to him. 
So there was something about Paul by this point on the trip and the power that they've seen and how God's working in this man that they're willing to trust him. Even in the middle of an impossible situation. Said they had given up all hope. Nobody believed there was any chance of hope. Now let's bring this down to spiritual terms. Paul wrote to Timothy and said this. He said, people no longer hold on to their faith with a good conscience. He said, they've rejected their faith and so shipwrecked their own faith. Now this is important to note. Right? Timothy is, is Paul's protege. And Paul's writing not long after the church has been founded. But there's something very important here about that phrase, about their faith. All right, to shipwreck your faith, what has to ha happen first? You have to have faith, right? So he's not talking about the non-believers in the town that weren't there. He's talking about the people who had become believers. He said, Timothy, they were believers, they were following God, and then somebody convinced them that they couldn't trust the word of God. Somebody convinced them they couldn't believe in Noah's flood or the resurrection from the dead or that the Bible wasn't inspired by God. Somebody or something pulled them away and they shipwrecked their faith. My guess is there's not a soul in this room that doesn't know a dozen people whose faith have been shipwrecked. People that you've tried to go back and talk to, sometimes things have been done to them. I find in most cases, they were driving the ship. They wrecked it themselves. It's nobody else to blame but themselves. And yet somehow, it's God's fault that they had a shipwreck. Our job is to make sure that we stay on track and we're able to go back out into those waters and help bring some of those shipwrecked people. And sometimes it's churches that have treated people badly. It's pastors. I mean, the, the, the stories are endless. But the truth is shipwrecks happen and it's always the church's job to go get those people. Whether we're talking about the Titanic or there's a, there's a military escort called the Dorchester. If you don't know the story of that, there were four chaplains. Um, on that on that particular um, ship, and they preached the gospel till the very end. And there's that the famous story when the guy said, "I don't believe in your Jesus. I want nothing to do with your Jesus." And the the priest took the life jacket off and he gave it to the man. He said, "You're going to need this, son. I'm going to heaven, and you're not ready to go to heaven." And we don't know whatever happened to that guy, but. Paul's preaching to the very end. You and I have got to be doing the same thing. Because there's people laying in the water. And that's it's just really kind of real right now. Uh, both physically and spiritually. That need the church to show up. And be those rescuers for people. And then the last part is what really brings it home. And that is that we've got to have a bold faith. Even when we're in a mess. Even if we have been beaten up. Financially, marriages, hurricanes, whatever. Paul's on this ship too, is he not? Paul's going to die too. Why do you think Paul's praying so hard? Now listen, I'd have been no help if you think I would have been Paul because 14 minutes into that storm, I'm throwing up all over the ship. <laughs> and I'm green 
And I got nothing for any of you. All I'm doing is praying to die. That's all I'm doing if I'm, if I'm in that particular spot. But Paul prays for the men on the ship. Now what do you think happened to those guys after that? You think maybe some of those guys became Christians? Maybe all of them became Christians. But maybe Paul's greatest statement, and you want to see our inadequacy, I'm going to show it to you. Paul says in Romans 9.3, he said, I wish that I could be accursed. We'll translate it. Paul said, God, I'd be willing to go to hell for all of eternity if you would just save my Jewish brothers and sisters. I don't have that kind of courage. I'm not there yet. But that's where Paul was. And I'm not saying that God would have made that swap. But that tells you the heart of Paul for lost people. Do you pray that way? Do I pray that way? For family, for friends, for neighbors that so desperately need Jesus? Lord, give me their soul. Bring their soul to salvation. God, I'll even give up my soul if we can just get that family to know Jesus. That's a tough prayer. But Paul's concern is for everybody on the ship. Listen, Paul's going to go. Paul's going to be dead in a couple of months anyway, ship or no ship. He's going to go to Nero. Nero's going to say, "Yeah, I reject you," and have his head cut off. He's going to die anyway. Paul's concern is for everyone else. I find that amazing. Sam Elliott, who Sam Elliott is from TV, he said, "Real men." Stand up for themselves, but really real men stand up for other people. And if you wonder why we do the things, why are we sponsoring children in Costa Rica? Why should I care about these Panamanian children? Why should I do these shoe boxes? By the way, we're getting close to 7,500, 8,000. You've never seen so many shoe boxes. They're all backstage if you want to come see them. But um, you guys have been absolutely awesome. But why do we do that? 4,000 more kids are going to be in heaven because of those shoeboxes. How many of these kids in Costa Rica? Because we live in a culture that doesn't value children. Let, let me throw something at you, okay? Very rarely does a statement just get in my head and it won't go away. But, but one did this week. There was a simple post on Facebook. Just black, white letters. And it said, there were no children on the ark with Noah. And that phrase has not left me. Well, you say, well, Noah's kids were on the ark. Yeah, look it up. Noah's boys were 500 years old. Look it up. Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. So you got Noah and his wife, his three adult boys, and their three wives, eight people. We know from Peter that it took him 120 years to build that boat. Noah preached during that whole time. And not one parent thought it important enough to put their child on the boat. The boat was open for anybody. Noah's begging people to go with him. And I get it. Hey, I hate you, Noah. I hate your God. I think this is stupid. But just in case, Johnny, Johnny, get up there on the boat. Not one child was on that boat. If a church forgets about children, we have no reason to exist. In Montana, in Montana, all right, I'm not trying to be critical of other states, but this is Montana. They voted 
that if a, a child is being aborted and the child lives, no medical help can be given. The doctor literally has to lay the baby aside and let the baby lay there until it dies. How about if that was a sea turtle? A bald eagle? A dog? That's why children are so important. Psalm 82 makes it very clear that our responsibility is to take care of those who are weak, the ones that nobody else will stand up for. Well, let's finish a little more positively, shall we? Albert Pujols happened to have him in his cardinal jersey here, 700 home runs. Uh, if you don't know this about Albert, Albert was, has been a sold-out Christian since high school. And uh, you see Albert, every time a guy would get on first base, Albert would talk to him. What you don't know is that every time Albert was talking about Jesus. And so if you got on base three times or if he didn't see you for three months, when you got back on first base, he's going to follow up right where he left off in the last conversation. And this is Albert's quote after he retired a couple weeks ago. He said, if it weren't for Jesus, I would not be where I am today and my life would be without purpose. I've heard kids say they want to be just like me when they grow up. They should know I want to be just like Jesus. Not bad for a cardinal, huh? Not bad. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, he said, unless we repent, we will all perish. So you and I hold the keys to heaven and hell for ourselves, for other people. If you need to accept Jesus, you come down. There'll be folks down front here, over here to pray for you. Uh, if you're online, you hit the button. I've decided people will follow up with you. Uh, we can baptize you now, 2 o'clock at uh, Rennick Park. I have to get the right park. The other park is gone right now. Um, just lots of options. Nobody wants to be in a shipwreck. So what are you going to do to keep your faith on track? Father, I pray that as we finish, that your Holy Spirit would apply this. Some are in the middle of a crash right now. Others are trying to avoid it. Others are trying to learn from mistakes. Some of us are sailing quite well and there's people floating in the water all around us. The job is ever present. So Father, we cry out that you would hear our prayers and that your Holy Spirit would apply this to each single person just as each of us needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.